Stories, fables, ghostly tales. An elf as tiny as your pinky lives amongst the rose bushes. Perhaps there is one right now amongst your flowers. This elf, however, has witnessed a murder, a family betrayal most foul. So what must he do? A child passes to God's kingdom, and a rose bush brings memories back of a past life. And the tale of obsession and fixation towards a pair of red shoes leads to a terrible demise. Welcome, listeners, to your dose of fairy tales. Today's three stories are by Hans Christian Andersen, The Elf of the Rose, The Angel, and The Red Shoes. An author of over 3,381 works, but did you know that he once was a weaver's apprentice? and that at the age of 14, he moved from his hometown to become an actor. He also had a passion for travel and absolutely hated school, describing it as the darkest and most bitter time of his life. Just fascinating. What's just as fascinating is, apparently the story of the ugly duckling was thought to be the story of his own life and how he saw himself. Huh. So join me for three tales that you may not have heard from his usual collection because I enjoy keeping things fresh. Well, as fresh as I can for stories after 1835. And brew yourself a tea just like me. Today I have a green tea called Centure Quince. Aromatic quince flavors with bright blue cornflower petals. Gotta say, it smells like I'm in a field of flowers. So relaxing. It's a shame I have hay fever. Now, let's get to our stories. The Elf of the Rose, 1839 In the midst of a garden grew a rose tree, in full blossom, and in the prettiest of all the roses lived an elf. He was such a little wee thing that no human eye could see him. Behind each leaf of the rose he had a sleeping chamber. He was as well formed and as beautiful as a little child could be and had wings that reached from his shoulders to his feet. Oh, what sweet fragrance there was in his chambers, and how clean and beautiful were the walls, for they were the blushing leaves of the rose. During the whole day he enjoyed himself in the warm sunshine, flew from flower to flower, and danced on the wings of the flying butterflies. Then he took it into his head, to measure how many steps he would have to go through the roads and crossroads that are on the leaf of a linden tree. What we call the veins on a leaf, he took for roads. Aye, and very long roads they were for him. For before he had half finished his task, the sun went down. He had commenced his work too late. It became very cold. The dew fell and the wind blew. So he thought the best thing he could do would be to return home. He hurried himself as much as he could, but he found the roses all closed up, and he could not get in. Not a single rose stood open. The poor little elf was very much frightened. He had never before been out at night, but had always slumbered secretly behind the warm rose leaves. Oh, this would certainly be his death. At the other end of the garden, he knew there was an arbor, overgrown with beautiful honeysuckles. The blossoms looked like large painted horns, and he thought to himself, he would go and sleep in one of these till the morning. He flew thither, 
But hush, two people were in the arbor, a handsome young man and a beautiful lady. They sat side by side and wished that they might never be obliged to part. They loved each other much more than the best child can love its father and mother. But we must part, said the young man. Your brother does not like our engagement, and therefore he sends me so far away on business, over the mountains and seas. Farewell, my sweet bride, for so you are to me. And then they kissed each other, and the girl wept, and gave him a rose. But before she did so, she pressed a kiss upon him so fervently that the flower opened. Then the little elf flew in, and leaned his head on the delicate, fragrant walls. He could plainly hear them say, Farewell, farewell. And he felt that the rose had been placed on the young man's breast. Oh, how his heart did beat. The little elf could not go to sleep. It thumped so loudly. The young man took it out as he walked through the dark wood alone, and kissed the flower so often and so violently that the little elf was almost crushed. He could feel through the leaf how hot the lips of the young man were, and the rose had opened as if from the heat of the noonday sun. There came another man who looked gloomy and wicked. He was the wicked brother of the beautiful maiden. He drew out a sharp knife, and while the other was kissing the rose, the wicked man stamped him to death. Then he cut off his head and buried it with the body in the soft earth under the linden tree. Now he is gone, and will soon be forgotten, thought the wicked brother. He will never come back again. He was going on a long journey over mountains and seas. It is easy for a man to lose his life in such a journey. My sister will suppose he is dead, for he cannot come back, and she will not dare to question me about him. Then he scattered the dry leaves over the light earth with his foot, and went home through the darkness. But he went not alone, as he thought. The little elf accompanied him. He sat in a dry, rolled-up linden leaf, which had fallen from the tree onto the wicked man's head. As he was digging the grave, the hat was on the head now, which made it very dark, and the little elf shuddered with fright and indignation at the wicked deed. It was the dawn of morning before the wicked man reached home. He took off his hat and went into his sister's room. There lay the beautiful blooming girl, dreaming of him who she loved so, and who was now, she supposed, traveling far away over mountain and sea. Her wicked brother stopped over her and laughed hideously, <laughs> as fiends only can laugh. The dry leaf fell out of his hair upon the counterpane. But he did not notice it, and went to get a little sleep during the early morning hours. But the elf slipped out of the withered leaf, placed himself by the ear of the sleeping girl, and told her, as in a dream, of the horrid murder, described the place where her brother had slain her lover, and buried his body, and told her of the linden tree, in full blossom, that stood close by. And that you may not think that this is only a dream that I have told you. He said, You will find on your bed a withered leaf. Then she awoke and found it there. Oh, what bitter tears she shed, 
and she could not open her heart to anyone for relief. The window stood open the whole day, and the little elf could easily have reached the roses or any of the flowers, but he could not find it in his heart to leave one so afflicted. In the window stood a bush bearing monthly roses. He seated himself in one of the flowers and gazed on the poor girl. Her brother often came into the room and would be quite cheerful in spite of his base conduct. So she dared not say a word to him of her heart's grief. As soon as night came on, she slipped out of the house and went into the wood, to the spot where the linden tree stood, and after removing the leaves from the earth, she turned it up, and there found him who had been murdered. Oh, how she wept and prayed that she also might die. Gladly would she have taken the body home with her, but that was impossible. So she took up the poor head with the closed eyes, kissed the cold lips, and shook the mold out of the beautiful hair. I will keep this, she said, and as soon as she had covered the body again with the earth and leaves, she took the head and a little sprig of jasmine that bloomed in the wood in the spot that he was buried, and carried them home with her. As soon as she was in her room, she took the largest flower pot she could find, and in this she placed the head of the dead man, covered it up with earth, and planted the twig of jasmine in it. Farewell, farewell, whispered the little elf. He could not any longer endure to witness all this agony of grief. He therefore flew away to his own rose in the garden, but the rose was faded. Only a few dry leaves still clung to the green hedge behind it. Alas, how soon all that is good and beautiful passes away. <sighs> sighed the elf. After a while he found another rose, which became his home, for among it its delicate fragrant leaves he could dwell in safety. Every morning he flew to the window of the poor girl, and always found her weeping by the flower pot. The bitter tears fell upon the jasmine twig, and each day, as she became paler and paler, the sprig appeared to grow greener and fresher. One shoot after another sprouted forth, and little white buds blossomed, which the poor girl fondly kissed. But her wicked brother scolded her and asked her if she was going mad. He could not imagine why she was weeping over that flower pot, and it annoyed him. He did not know whose closed eyes were there, nor what red lips were fading beneath the earth. And one day she sat and leaned her head against the flower pot, and the little elf of the rose found her asleep. Then he seated himself by her ear, talked to her of that evening in the arbor, of the sweet perfume of the rose, and the loves of the elves. Sweetly she dreamed, and while she dreamt, her life passed away calmly and gently, and her spirit was with him whom she loved in heaven. And the jasmine opened its large white bells, and spread forth its sweet fragrance. It had no other way of showing its grief for the dead. But the wicked brother, considered the beautiful blooming plant as his own property, left to him by his sister, and he placed it in his sleeping room, close by his bed. For it was very lovely in appearance, and the fragrance sweet 
and the light bulb. The little elf of the rose followed it, and flew from flower to flower, telling each little spirit that dwelt in them the story of the murdered young man, whose head now formed part of the earth beneath them, and of the wicked brother and the poor sister. We know it, said each little spirit in the flowers. We know it. For have we not sprung from the eyes and lips of the murdered one? We know it. We know it. And the flowers nodded with their heads in a peculiar manner. The elf of the rose could not understand how they could rest so quietly in the matter. So he flew to the bees, who were gathering honey, and told them of the wicked brother. And the bees told it to their queen, who commanded that the next morning they should go and kill the murderer. But during the night, the first after the sister's death, while the brother was sleeping in his bed, close to where he had placed the fragrant jasmine, every flower cup opened. And invisibly, the little spirit stole out. Armed with poisonous spears, they placed themselves by the ear of the sleeper, told him dreadful dreams, and then flew across his lips and pricked his tongue with their poison spears. Now have we revenged the dead, said they, and flew back into the white bells of jasmine flowers. When the morning came, and as soon as the window was opened, the rose elf with the queen bee and the whole swarm of bees rushed in to kill him. But he was already dead. People were standing around the bed and saying that the scent of the jasmine had killed him. Then the elf of the rose understood the revenge of the flowers and explained it to the queen bee. And she, with the whole swarm, buzzed about the flower pot. The bees could not be driven away. Then a man took it up to remove it, and one of the bees stung him in the hand, so that he let the flower pot fall, and as it was broken to pieces, then everyone saw the whitened skull, and they knew the dead man in the bed was a murderer. And the queen bee hummed in the air, and sang of the revenge of the flowers, and of the elf of the rose, and said that behind the smallest leaf dwells one who can discover evil deeds and punish them also. The Angel, 1844 Whenever a good child dies, an angel of God comes down from heaven, takes the dead child in his arms, spreads out his great white wings, and flies with him over all the places which the child had loved during his life. Then he gathers a large handful of flowers, which he carries up to the Almighty, that they may bloom more brightly in heaven than they do on earth. And the Almighty presses the flowers to his heart, but he kisses the flowers that pleases him best. And it receives a voice, and is able to join the song of the chorus of bliss. These words were spoken by an angel of God, as he carried a dead child up to heaven. And the child listened as if in a dream. Then they passed over well-known spots, where the little one had often played, and through beautiful gardens full of lovely flowers. Which of these shall we take with us to heaven to be transplanted there? Asked the angel. Close by grew a slender, beautiful rosebush. But some wicked hand had broken the stem, and the half-opened rosebuds hung faded and withered on the trailing branches. Poor rosebush, said the child. Let us take it with us to heaven 
that it may bloom above in God's garden. The angel took up the rose bush, then he kissed the child, and the little one half opened his eyes. The angel gathered also some beautiful flowers, as well as a few humble buttercups and hearts' ease. Now we have flowers enough, said the child, but the angel only nodded. He did not fly upward to heaven. It was night and quite still in the great town. Here they remained, and the angel hovered over a small, narrow street in which lay a large heap of straw, ashes, and sweepings from the houses of people who had removed. There lay fragments of plates, pieces of plaster, rags, old hats, and other rubbish not pleasant to see. Amidst all this confusion, the angel pointed to the pieces of a broken flower pot and to a lump of earth which had fallen out of it. The earth had been kept from falling to pieces by the roots of a withered field flower, which had been thrown amongst the rubbish. We will take these with us, said the angel. I will tell you why as we fly along. And as they flew, the angel relayed the history. Down in the narrow lane, in a low cellar, lived a poor sick boy. He had been afflicted from his childhood, and even in his best days he could just manage to walk up and down the room on crutches once or twice, but no more. During some days in summer, the sunbeams would lie on the floor of the cellar for about half an hour. In this spot, the poor sick boy would sit warming himself in the sunshine and watching the red blood through his delicate fingers as he held them before his face. Then he would say he had been out. Yet he knew nothing of the green forest in its spring verdure, till a neighbor's son brought him a green bough from a beech tree. This he would place over his head, and fancy that he was in the beech wood, while the sun shone, and the birds caroled gaily. One spring day, the neighbor's boy brought him some spring flowers, and among them was one to which the root still adhered. This he carefully planted in a flower pot and placed in a window seat near his bed. And the flower had been planted by a fortunate hand, for it grew, put forth fresh shoots, and blossomed every year. It became a splendid flower garden to the sick boy and his little treasure upon earth. He watered it and cherished it, and took care of it, should have the benefit of every sunbeam that found its way into the cellar. From the earliest morning ray to the evening sunset, the flower entwined itself even in his dreams. For him it bloomed, for him it spread its perfume, and it gladdened his eyes, and to the flower he turned even in death when the Lord called him. He has been one year with God. During that time, the flower has stood in the window, withered and forgotten, till at length cast out amongst the sweepings into the street on the day of the lodger's removal. And this poor flower, withered and faded as it was, we have added to our nosegay, because it gave more real joy than the most beautiful flower in the garden of a queen. But how do you know all this? asked the child, whom the angel was carrying to heaven. I know it, said the angel, because I myself was the poor sick boy who walked upon crutches, and I know my own flower well. Then the child opened his eyes and looked into the glorious happy face of the angel, and at the same moment they found themselves in that heavenly home where all is happiness and joy. 
and God pressed the dead child to his heart, and wings were given him so that he could fly with the angel, hand in hand. Then the Almighty pressed all the flowers to his heart, but he kissed the withered field flower, and it received a voice. Then it joined in the song of the angels, who surrounded the throne, some near and the others in a distant circle, but all equally happy. They all joined in the chorus of praise, both great and small, the good, happy child and the poor field flower that once lay withered and cast away on a heap of rubbish in a narrow, dark street. The Red Shoes Once upon a time, there was a little girl, pretty and dainty, but in summertime she was obliged to go barefooted because she was poor, and in winter she had to wear large wooden shoes so that her little instep grew quite red. In the middle of the village lived an old shoemaker's wife. She sat down and made, as well as she could, a pair of little shoes out of some old pieces of red cloth. They were clumsy, but she meant well, for they were intended for the little girl, whose name was Karen. Karen received the shoes and wore them for the first time on the day of her mother's funeral. They were certainly not suitable for mourning, but she had no others, and so she put her bare feet into them and walked behind the humble coffin. Just then, a large old carriage came by, and in it sat an old lady. She looked at the little girl, and taking pity on her, said to the clergyman, Look here, if you will give me the little girl, I will look after her. Karen believed that this was all on account of the red shoes, but the old lady thought them hideous, and so they were burnt. Karen herself was dressed very neatly and cleanly. She was taught to read and to sew, and people said that she was pretty, but the mirror told her, You are more than pretty, you are beautiful. One day the queen was travelling through that part of the country, and had her little daughter, who was a princess, with her. All the people amongst them, Karen too, streamed towards the castle, where the little princess in fine white clothes stood before the window and allowed herself to be stared at. She wore neither a train nor a golden crown, but beautiful red Morocco shoes. They were indeed much finer than those the shoemaker's wife had sewn for little Karen. There is really nothing in the world that can be compared to red shoes. Karen was now old enough to be confirmed through confirmation. She received some new clothes, and she was also to have some new socks. The rich shoemaker in the town took the measure of her little foot in his own room, in which there stood great glass cases, full of pretty shoes and white slippers. It all looked very lovely, but the old lady could not see very well, and therefore did not get much pleasure out of it. Amongst the shoes stood a pair of red ones, like those which the princess had worn. How beautiful they were! And the shoemaker said that they had been made for a count's daughter, but that they had not fit her. I suppose they are of shiny leather? Asked the old lady. They shine so. Yes, they do shine, said Karen. They fitted her and were bought, but the old lady knew nothing of their being red for she would never have allowed Karen to be confirmed in red shoes, as she was now to be. Everybody looked at her feet, 
and the whole of the way from the church door to the choir, it seemed to her as if even the ancient figures of the monuments, in their stiff collars and long black robes, had their eyes fixed on her red shoes. It was only of these that she thought when the clergymen laid their hand upon her head and spoke about the covenant of God, and told her that she was now to be a grown-up Christian. The organ pealed forth solemnly, and the sweet children's voices mingled with that of their old leader. But Karen thought only of her red shoes. In the afternoon, the old lady heard from everybody that Karen had worn red shoes. She said that it was a shocking thing to do, that it was very improper, and that Karen was always to go to church in future in black shoes, even if they were old. On the following Sunday, there was communion. Karen looked first at the black shoes, then at the red ones, then looked at the red ones again, and put them on. The sun was shining gloriously, so Karen and the old lady went along the footpath through the corn, where it was rather dusty. At the church door stood an old crippled soldier leaning on a crutch. He had a wonderfully long beard, more red than white, and he bowed down to the ground and asked the old lady whether he might wipe her shoes. Then Karen put out her little foot too. Dear me, what pretty dancing shoes, said the soldier. Sit fast when you dance, said he, addressing the shoes and slapping the soles with his hand. The old lady gave the soldier some money and then went with Karen into the church. And all the people inside looked at Karen's red shoes and all the figures gazed at them. When Karen knelt before the altar and put the goblet to her mouth, she thought only of the red shoes. It seemed to her as though they were swimming about in the goblet and she forgot to sing the psalm forgot to say the Lord's Prayer. Now everyone came out of the church, and the old lady stepped into her carriage, but just as Karen was lifting up her foot to get in too, the old soldier said, Dear me, what pretty dancing shoes. And Karen could not help it. She was obliged to dance a few steps, and when she had once begun, her legs continued to dance. It seemed as if her shoes had gotten power over her. She danced round the church corner, for she could not stop. The coachman had to run after her and seize her. He lifted her into the carriage, but her feet continued to dance, so that she kicked the good old lady violently. At last they took off her shoes, and her legs were at rest. At home, the shoes were put into the cupboard, but Karen could not help looking at them. Now, the old lady fell ill, and it was said that she would not rise from her bed again. She had to be nursed and waited upon, and this was no one's duty more than Karen's. But there was a grand ball in the town, and Karen was invited. She looked at the red shoes, saying to herself that there was no sin in doing that. She put the red shoes on, thinking there was no harm in that either. And then she went to the ball, and commenced to dance. But when she wanted to go to the right, the shoes danced to the left. And when she wanted to dance up the room, the shoes danced down the room, down the stairs, through the street, and out through the gate of the town. She danced, and was obliged to dance, far out into the dark wood. Suddenly, something shone up among the trees, and she believed it was the moon, for it was a face. But it was the old soldier with the red beard. He sat there, nodding his head, and said, Dear me, what pretty dancing shoes. <laughs> She was frightened and wanted to throw the red shoes away, but they stuck fast. 
She tore off her stockings, but the shoes had grown fast to her feet. She danced and was obliged to go on dancing over field and meadow, in rain and sunshine, by night and by day. But by night, it was most horrible. She danced out into the open churchyard, but the dead there did not dance. They had something better to do than that. She wanted to sit down on the pauper's grave where the bitter fern grows, but for her there was neither peace nor rest, and as she danced past the open church door, she saw an angel there in long white robes, with wings reaching from his shoulders down to the earth. His face was stern and grave, and in his hand he held a broad shining sword. Dance you shall, said he. Dance in your red shoes till you are pale and cold, till your skin shrivels up and you are a skeleton. Dance you shall, from door to door, and where proud and wicked children live, you shall knock, so that they may hear you and fear you. Dance you shall, dance. Mercy, cried Karen. But she did not hear what the angel answered, for the shoes carried her through the gate into the fields, along highways and byways, and unceasingly she had to dance. One morning she danced past a door that she knew well. They were singing a psalm inside, and a coffin was being carried out covered with flowers. Then she knew that she was forsaken by everyone and damned by the angel of God. She danced and was obliged to go on dancing through the dark night, the shoes bore her away, over thorns and stumps, till she was all torn and bleeding. She danced away over the hearth to a lonely little house. Here, she knew, lived the executioner. And she tapped with her finger at the window and said, Come out, come out, I cannot come in, for I must dance. And the executioner said, I don't suppose you know who I am. I strike off the heads of the wicked. And I noticed that my axe is tingling to do so. Don't cut off my head, said Karen. For then I could not repent of my sin, but cut off my feet with the red shoes. And then she confessed all her sin, and the executioner struck off her feet with the red shoes. But the shoes danced away with the little feet across the field into the deep forest. And he carved her a pair of wooden feet and some crutches and taught her a psalm, which is always sung by sinners. She kissed the hand that guided the axe, and went away over the hearth. Now I have suffered enough for the red shoes, she said. I will go to church, so that people can see me. And she went quickly up to the church door. But when she came there, the red shoes were dancing before her and she was frightened and turned back. During the whole week she was sad and wept many bitter tears, but when Sunday came again she said, Now I have suffered and striven enough. I believe I am quite as good as many of those who sit in church and give themselves airs. And so she went boldly on, but she had not got farther than the churchyard gate when she saw the red shoes dancing along before her. Then she became terrified and turned back, and repented right heartily of her sin. She went to the parsonage, and begged that she might be taken into service there. She would be industrious, she said, and do everything that she could. 
She did not mind about the wages as long as she had a roof over her and was with good people. The pastor's wife had pity on her and took her into service, and she was industrious and thoughtful. She sat quiet and listened when the pastor read aloud from the Bible in the evening. All the children liked her very much, but when they spoke about dress and grandeur and beauty, she would shake her head. On the following Sunday, they all went to church, and she was asked whether she wished to go too, but with tears in her eyes. She looked sadly at her crutches. And then the others went to hear God's word, but she went alone into her little room. This was only large enough to hold the bed and a chair. Here, she sat down with her hymn book, and as she was reading it with a pious mind, the wind carried the notes of the organ over to her from the church. And in tears, she lifted up her face and said, Oh God, help me. Then the sun shone so brightly, and right before her stood an angel of God in white robes, It was the same one whom she had seen that night at the church door. He no longer carried the sharp sword, but a beautiful green branch, full of roses. With this he touched the ceiling, which rose up very high, and where he had touched it, there shone a golden star. He touched the walls, which opened wide apart, and she saw the organ, which was peeling forth. She saw the pictures of the old pastors and their wives, and the congregation sitting in the polished chairs and singing from their hymn books. The church itself had come to the poor girl in her narrow room, or the room had gone to the church. She sat in the pew with the rest of the pastor's household, and when they had finished the hymn and looked up, they nodded and said, It was right of you to come, Karen. It was mercy, said she. The organ played and the children's voices in the choir sounded soft and lovely. The bright, warm sunshine streamed through the window into the pew where Karen sat, and her heart became so filled with it, so filled with peace and joy, that it broke. Her soul flew on the sunbeams to heaven, and no one was there who asked after the red shoes. Just brilliant. I hope you enjoy these Hans Christian Andersen tales. And did you notice the reoccurring theme of the rose? I wonder what that refers to. Do any of you listeners out there know why Hans constantly referred to the rose? I'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you like these stories, let me know. And if you want more of them and have a favorite, send me an email. You can reach me at any time at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. I'm in Australia, so it might take seven hours to respond, but I will respond. This Friday, at the request of many listeners, I'll be doing an old-time radio episode from the suspense era. I didn't realize how much people miss them. That's not to say I'm going to bombard you with old-time radio episodes, but I'll add them to the mix every now and then, a little bit more than I've done in the past couple of weeks. Also, next week, I'll be covering listener stories, some by Tom Keithley and Felicia Dearman, two authors that just keep growing more and more after every story sent through. They are just brilliantly creative. I'll also be bringing you stories next week that aren't safe for work. (laughs) Not for the kiddies, but something different. So I'll see you Friday, and I hope you get revved up for next Monday as well. Till next time, you lovely listeners.